This show is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. You matter, you do, and you're awesome. Don't fight us on this one. Ask your friends. Visit betterhelp.com super and take care of number one. Hey, brother. Man, oh, mayonnaise, you guys. We are only a couple of months away from Secrets of Dumbledore, and despite the fact that we have only had one trailer so far, my psych level is going through the roof. See, because I do this thing where, like, because Crimes of Grindelwald was such a mess, I am, like, firmly believing that Secrets is just gonna make up for it, like, tenfold. And as such, I think that it means that it has the potential to start knocking down some of the biggest mysteries that we have inside of the Harry Potter universe. Like, for example, what on earth is up with Credence? Like, we know that he's not Corvus Lestrange, Grindelwald thinks that he's Aurelius Dumbledore, but, like, who is he? And like, why are Obscurus's so important to this particular conversation? Because if you recall, Dumbledore's younger sister, Ariana, almost certainly is one. So it feels like that's gonna have to be relevant to the overall plot somehow. And oh, hey, we get young Aberforth in this installment. That's exciting. Maybe now we can finally get to the bottom of the, you know, goats thing. So let's break all of those down and more with the top five mysteries that Secrets of Dumbledore might finally solve. Guys, before we dive on into today's video, we need to give a huge thank you to today's sponsor, Bespoke Post. I personally am a huge fan of Bespoke Post and I have been a subscriber to the service long before they were ever a sponsor of this show. And that's because Bespoke Post curates an amazing collection of goods every month that are specifically tailored to you. And I say that wholeheartedly. They even have a quiz over at boxofawesome.com where they can figure out exactly which boxes are best for you. Last month, I was telling you guys about this amazing bag that I got from their desk destination box. And just this week, I have had the opportunity to travel with it, and I can genuinely tell you that not only is it incredibly stylish, but it's very handy. And next month, I definitely have my eye on this sizzle box, which has everything you need to make a delectable stir fry. Something I can genuinely tell you is really great because having a baby means it's hard to go out anywhere to eat. I've been making a lot more meals at home, so I need some new stuff in my lineup. And guys, each box of awesome is packed with over $70 worth of gear and comes in at a fraction of that cost. So get 20% off your first monthly box when you head on over to boxofawesome.com and use promo code SUPER at checkout. It is totally free to sign up and you can cancel at any time. Again, it's gonna be boxofawesome.com, promo code SUPER for 20% off your first order. One more time, boxofawesome.com, promo code SUPER, link is in the description down below. I'm going to be doing a countdown today, but that's not because any of these mysteries are like more secreter than any of the others. It's just the case that they have to go in in order. So we're gonna start with number five. What on earth happened that day between Aberforth, Ariana, Albus, and Grindelwald. If you will recall, the narrative that we currently know is that Dumbledore was the star student at Hogwarts. He had a head full of steam and was about to go and tackle the world destined for greatness. But then we find out that his mother, Kendra Dumbledore, supposedly, and I say supposedly for reasons that I will come back to in today's video. I didn't plan this, but maybe the order does matter. Kendra Dumbledore is supposedly suddenly and mysteriously killed by her daughter and Albus's young younger sister, Ariana. Then, when she was 14, see, I wasn't there. If I'd been there, I could have calmed her down. She had one of her ages, and my mother wasn't as young as she was, and it was an accident. Ariana couldn't control it, but my mother was killed. Did I sound like someone who loves goats? Because that's what I was going for. 
So again, we are operating under the assumption here that Ariana is the same as Credence and they are both obscure and it's kind of for the exact same reasons. Like Credence grew up under the care of Mary Lou Barebone and was forced to suppress his magical ability. And Ariana was bullied by Muggle Boys as a child and it was so hard on her that she did the same and ultimately had the outburst that supposedly kills Kendra. And all of this takes all of the momentum that Dumbledore had been building all through his years at Hogwarts and basically just rips the brakes. Instead of going on this like worldwide adventure with his friend Elpheus Doge, he has to assume the head of house position for the Dumbledore family and look after Ariana. And I know that's a lot of backstory to stuff you probably already know, but it's critical to what happens next. So Dumbledore returns home to Godric's Hollow when his neighbor, Bathilda Bagshot's nephew arrives on scene. That nephew is of course, Grindelwald. And here's where I think things get very, very interesting. One of the key things that we know about Grindelwald is that he is a seer, you know, kind of like Trelawney, except on purpose. With this ability though, he is aware of the fact that the one person who stands in his way on his path to greatness is Albus Dumbledore. Credence is the only entity alive who can kill him. The other thing that we know about Grindelwald is that he seems to be in search of an Obscurus very specifically. That is the reason that we find him in New York City at the beginning of Fantastic Beasts. The mystery that I am very curious about here is when does Grindelwald first have this vision? How long has he known that Albus is his biggest obstacle and that he will be in search of an Obscurus to defeat him? Because I think we're all kind of led to assume that this is happening in real time. Like as of the dates of the movies is when he's discovering this information. But let me pose you this question. What if he knew before he ever got to Godric's Hollow. So what if Grindelwald went there, not only because he knew that Albus was going to be there, but because he also knew that an Obscurus was going to be there. From Grindelwald's perspective, this is what they call a twofer. Godric's Hollow holds the person who is standing in his way and coincidentally, also the thing that can defeat that person and Obscurus. How simple, how elegant. However, during his time there, him and Dumbledore form a romantic relationship and form a blood pact that seems to be sealed with some amount of love. This pact basically means these two cannot attack each other. That is a really great defense for Grindelwald and a really huge obstacle for Dumbledore. And when you consider the fact that Grindelwald knows that an Obscurus is what will ultimately stop Albus, that's a very strategic move that he's playing there. He's never expecting to beat him one-on-one. -on -one. The question though becomes, if he is in fact pulling all of these strings and manipulating a grand situation here, was he ever actually truly in love with Albus? Because I absolutely 100% believe that Albus did love him. And if this is all the case, then what if it's not that Dumbledore is actually more powerful than Grindelwald, He's just more protected. We know that even at Harry's time at Hogwarts, Dumbledore still firmly believes that love is the most powerful form of magic. So if Dumbledore truly loves him and Grindelwald doesn't truly love him back, then what if that blood pact protects Dumbledore, but doesn't protect Grindelwald? To be clear though, I don't think either Dumbledore or Grindelwald 
know that's true. So if you'll recall in Rita Skeeter's book, The Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore, she says, what if there wasn't actually that great duel of legend? What if Grindelwald simply raised the white flag? Well, that makes a lot of sense if what they ultimately discover is one, they can't destroy the blood pact, and two, it's only actually protecting Albus. That's a pretty one-sided fight. Grindelwald can't compete. This would also be the reason why, despite having the Elder Wand, Grindelwald can't defeat Dumbledore because love is the most powerful kind of magic. But I'm actually not even done yet. So what if we go back again to that duel between Aberforth, Albus, and Grindelwald? You'll recall that Grindelwald has had the vision that an Obscurus is what he needs to defeat Dumbledore. At this point, he's already made the blood pact with Albus they can't fight each other. What Grindelwald is doing here is incredibly manipulative. What he's really trying to do is make Ariana so upset that she explodes out. From Grindelwald's perspective, this entire duel had exactly one objective, and that was to use Ariana to defeat Albus, which is deeply upsetting and brings us to mystery number four. If the Obscurus to ultimately destroy Albus wasn't Ariana, then it must be Credence right? Which also brings up the question, who even is Credence? Like, is he actually Dumbledore's brother? The question here really starts at the end of Crimes of Grindelwald, where we discovered that Credence is in fact not Corvus Lestrange, but according to Grindelwald, Morales Dumbledore. I kid you not, every single time I've ever watched that scene, the only thing that I can think about is breath mints. Like, whoa, I've wanted to know this information my whole life, man, but could you step back a little bit? This is a truly mind-blowing revelation when you hear it for the first time, but then when you kind of step back and think about it a little bit more, it's like, we would have known if there was another Dumbledore sibling, right? Like, the whole thing in Deathly Hallows is when Harry goes to King's Cross and is talking to Dumbledore, Dumbledore is coming clean on everything. So, Shouldn't this have come up? And the answer, the only answer that I will accept is yes. So the question is, what percentage of correct is Grindelwald when he makes this claim? 0% correct means that he is just completely and utterly making up the identity of Aurelius Dumbledore. It is in no way, shape or form true at all. 50% correct would be that there is in fact an Aurelius Dumbledore, but the entire plot of Crimes of Grindelwald was literally just to give us the information that two babies were swapped at sea. If that is in fact the case, then I believe it's information Grindelwald does not have. So in that case, he's not really lying. He's just wrong. But it doesn't mean that there wasn't an Aurelius Dumbledore. It just happens to be the boy who drowned at sea. In the event that he is 100% correct and the person standing before him is in fact Aurelius Dumbledore, then I am absolutely forced to believe that Dumbledore never learns this bit of information and therefore can't tell Harry about it. Because Dumbledore just wouldn't lie to Harry at this point. Prior to this point, like a lot, I, I would have believed it all then. But this also goes back to what I said before about Kendra supposedly being killed by Ariana. The timing of the rest of this doesn't add up at all. If in fact she was killed that day, then there is no way for her to have been alive to have had a third son. So one way or another, if Aurelius is real at all, Kendra did not die that day. Or the movies are just not following canon at all, in which case, what are we all even doing here? My personal belief is that Grindelwald is 50% correct. I do believe that he knows that Norelius Dumbledore existed. It just, 
isn't the case that Credence is Aurelius Dumbledore. It's the boy who drowned at sea. But with that information in mind, again, then who is Credence? Well, I think that that brings us to two other unexplained items from the Fantastic Beasts series. The first of which is Nagini being in the movie at all. What we learn is that Voldemort snake Nagini, in fact, used to be a real living person. And that's really interesting. But then she proceeds to literally do nothing else for the rest of the movie. That is nothing except for talking to Credence. And I actually think that is a huge giveaway. The fact that Credence has the ability to communicate with Nagini at all suggests that there is a chance he is a parcel mouth and can speak to snakes. And if that is true, then it absolutely must be the case that he is related to the Gaunt family, which is the only family known to still have this particular ability. Which again, if true, means that he is literally related to Voldemort. <laughs> and kind of interestingly is a different lost sibling, which would be a characteristic that these two babies would uniquely share. Also on that note, and not for nothing, but the first Fantastic Beast movie literally takes place in the year of 1926, which is the same year that Tom Riddle is born. Coincidence? Coincidence? I really hope not. Which though brings me to mystery number three. What does Voldemort have to do with all of this? It feels like way too many pieces of the puzzle are falling on the board for him to not have some kind of a role in the overall narrative. Again, if we do go back to Nagini, we know that it is the very same snake that Voldemort ultimately will turn into a Horcrux, meaning she will ultimately have a very important relationship with both Credence and eventually Tom Riddle slash Voldemort. The final duel between Dumbledore and Grindelwald is supposed to take place in the year 1945, which would be just two years after Tom Riddle graduates from Hogwarts, which also means that the Chamber of Secrets will have been opened before that duel happens, meaning Tom Riddle will have already framed Hagrid. Hagrid seems like the more modern day version of Newt in terms of having an affinity for beasts and also just like an undeniable level of trust with Dumbledore. I would trust Hagrid with my life. Plus, notably, both of them expelled. There's also quite a few theories that suggest that Newt is the one who will ultimately give Hagrid Aragog as well. And, and what is Voldemort if not basically Grindelwald 2.0? I mean, they literally wield the exact same wand, or at least they both physically hold it. Little did Voldemort know that Harry had disarmed Draco of a completely different wand like three weeks ago. Ha ha, point Harry. The actual point is, is that Voldemort is going to show up. So keep your eyes peeled for clues. And moving on, mystery number four, two? Which way did I do this? We just mentioned the idea that Newt and Dumbledore seem to have a tremendous amount of faith in one another. But one huge question that remains is why? Like no offense to Newt at all. He is literally one of my all time favorite characters. But defense against the dark arts and care of magical creatures seem like two entirely different majors. Like Harry's whole thing is fighting the dark arts. Their relationship makes an enormous amount of sense since they're fighting the dark arts. What was it about Newt as a student that made him stand out to Dumbledore? You do not seek power or popularity. You simply ask, is a thing right? Which that second sentiment is great, except the only interaction that we've seen between Dumbledore and Newt, especially when Newt is a student, is the bogger lesson. How or what did Newt do to convince Dumbledore that no matter what, 
he would do the right thing. Well, the biggest clue that I have to go off of here is the only other really significant thing that we know about Newt during his time at Hogwarts, which is that he is close friends with Lita Lestrange. And we also know that while Newt was very quiet and reserved, Lita always seemed to be kind of dead center of the action. Part of me thinks that it might just all actually fit together. The important thing about that Boggart lesson isn't what we, the audience, learn about Newt, it's what Dumbledore learned about Newt during that lesson. And what I think he learned there is that while Newt is an incredibly talented and very gifted student, he's also not the kind of student who will ultimately benefit from the traditional educational process. Newt is going to learn on his own. It does him no good to be sitting there in a classroom. We also know that Lita is not particularly fond of Dumbledore based on their interaction in Crimes of Grindelwald, which kind of makes me wonder whether or not Newt's expulsion was entirely set up by Dumbledore. Maybe what he was doing here was testing Newt, trying to see if he would take the fall for his friend. He would always do the right thing. Because if Philosopher's Stone taught us anything at all, it's that Dumbledore is not above testing his students in unorthodox ways. He's a funny man, Dumbledore. I don't think it was an accident he let me find out how the mirror worked. It's almost like he thought I had the right to face Voldemort, if I could. On the whole, what I'm trying to say here is that I think Newt is a lot more useful to Dumbledore when he is not encumbered by being a student. Which brings me to mystery number one. Is Jacob somehow magical? So ever since the closing scene of Crimes of Grindelwald, all of us in the viewing audience have kind of been left wondering, can Jacob actually see the castle here? Because if he is in fact a muggle, he should not be able to. But it's kind of hard to tell. Like, is this the face of someone who's just plain confused as to why they're all standing in front of a pile of ruins or just utter amazement that he's looking at a magical castle? Based on historical data, it's almost always amazement. But since then, thanks to the one trailer that we do have for Secrets of Dumbledore, we know that Jacob is given a wand by Newt by Dumbledore. And he looks like he is at least trying to use it to fight Queenie in this scene. But the question is, is this for real or is it just so that the other wizards will think that he's legit? Because keep in mind, during this period of time, the tension between the you know magical and non-magical community is significant kind of the whole plot. But on the whole, while it would be cool if Jacob could do magic, it also feels like it does slightly undercut the purpose of his character. Jacob is the muggle representation in the group. He is the representative of what they're all fighting for. All of that being said though, there is one tiny piece of information that we have that is completely out of universe that might suggest that there is an exception to all of this. This is going to be from an interview with the author from the year 1999, where she says, in my books, magic almost always shows itself in a person before age 11. However, there is a character who does manage in desperate circumstances to do magic quite late in life, but that is very rare in the world I am writing about. Granted, this quote is 23 years old, making it obviously very dated, but there is one specific reason why I actually give it a little bit of weight. Or should I say, Credence. The reason that this could still be relevant is because the author also did say that the Nagini reveal is a secret she had been sitting on for 20 years. And considering the fact that Crimes of Grindelwald came out in the year 2018, that would put the timing almost exactly perfect. If this does end up being the case, I also think it's very interesting for a completely different reason. It's because it adds maybe a new item or possibility to the spectrum of magicality. 
which is the thing I literally just made up. Like we of course have muggles and squibs and then your muggle born witches and wizards. And then of course your half blooded and pure blooded witches and wizards. But this would be an odd circumstance. This would be the case where you have so little magic that for all intents and purposes, you are a muggle, but there is just enough in there that when the situation is dire enough, you might be able to manifest it. So on a scale, Grindelwald and Dumbledore, for example, are like 100 out of 100, as powerfully magical as you can be. And then there's, you know, your average wizard. Let's, let's call him Ron. Ron has like a 50 out of 100. But then characters like Dudley or Mrs. Fig, they are zero out of 100. They're incapable of performing magic. So if Jacob can, I'd be really curious what the name is for this possibility, because it would effectively seem like he has magical powers somewhere in the range of five out of 100. He never would have been magical enough to attend a place like Hogwarts, but it doesn't mean that he completely cannot do magic. Which leads me to my final honorable mention mystery to include on the list, which is that we know in this movie, there is Aberforth cast by a much younger person, meaning we're gonna get to know Aberforth more, which means maybe we find out about the goats. I wanna know what's up with the goats. But there you go, guys. Those are our top five mysteries that we are hoping will be resolved heading into the movie Secrets of Dumbledore. My question of the day, what are your most burning questions? What are you most curious to discover? Let us know in the towel section down below. But guys, as always, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to like this video and subscribe to the channel if you have haven't already. If you'd like to continue to brush up on your crimes of Grindelwald trivia, you can check out this episode of Jay versus Ben, where we face off on that very topic. But otherwise, guys, until next time, bye!